Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, I'm Nigel Lithgow, and I was the executive producer of Pop Stars, My Idol, Pop Idol, an American Idol. And these are my Idol memories. Hi there. Thanks for listening to my Idol memories. I hope you're enjoying taking this trip through season one just as much as I am. And as I re-watch the episodes and remind myself of this inaugural series, I'm quite shocked at how talented these singers were. We were indeed lucky to have found them in this first year. You're all probably aware that I was a dancer. Well, after 40 years of throwing my body around, I've screwed up five discs in my cervical spine. I've got a wonderful little titanium plate holding it all together. And every morning, I used to wake up with a stiff neck and extremely tight leg muscles. That is, until I found TheraOne CBD products. I found Revive. Now, it's a CBD body balm and is designed to ease the areas that need it most. And it warms and eases stiff and sore muscles. It lightens acute discomfort. You know, it's really good for those areas like a muscle strain at the gym or a bad case of tech neck. I haven't yet tried sleep, which is evidently really good for promoting healthy sleep. But I'm certainly going to. Because, you know, from tight muscles, tough workouts, signs of aging to simply making it through each busy day, everyone understands what it feels like to be tense and sore. So everyone can benefit from TheraOne's CBD products. Now, through Labor Day, Monday, September the 7th, TheraOne is offering our listeners a buy one, get one free for all TheraOne products. But you've got to go to theragun.com slash idle. If you don't love what you get from TheraOne, you can send it back for a full refund within 30 days of purchase. This is not something TheraOne is likely to do again. Buy one, get one free at theragun.com slash idle, but only until Labor Day. Go right now to theragun.com slash idle. Today, I'm going to speak about some of the highlights of the top 10 shows. I'll take you from the top 10 singers down to the top five singers on this podcast. We have a brand new set. And for the first time, we have a live audience of around 400. We also have a full orchestra. The musical theme for this first week is Motown. Founded by Berry Gordy in 1960, Motown Records came out of Detroit and of course, it's the name was a blend between the words motor and town. It played an important role in America in integrating rhythm and blues and soul music into the pop charts, which were predominantly white at that time. And by 1971, had over 110 records in the top 10. As the contestants were introduced to the audience, we really got to hear how enthusiastic the fans were. The screaming was incredibly loud. I was just a little frightened that the singers would not be able to hear the orchestra as we didn't use inner ears at this point. So I have to say there were perks for being in the top 10. MasterCard had provided a $2,000 debit card to each of the contestants to purchase whatever they wanted at the Beverly Center shopping mall. So first order of the day was out there to go and buy clothes, shoes, and makeup. The top 10 had moved out of their hotel and into a real Hollywood mansion on Mulholland Drive. Rumor had it that one of their neighbors was Sylvester Stallone. This truly was the American dream coming to life. But along with it, came the stress and an enormous workload of shooting commercials, recording backing tracks, press conferences, and photographic sessions. Not forgetting 
that they had to choose and learn songs that they didn't know that were probably written before they were even born. First performance of the night was from California girl Ryan Starr. She sang Stevie Wonder's 1971 hit, If You Really Love Me. So I'm taking out this time to say Simon gave her a real confidence boost. You look like a star, you seriously do. I think you look unbelievable, <laughs> and uh, you sounded unbelievable. Next up was R.J. Helton. His performances in this studio had delivered two very different results so far. The first had created an enormous row between Randy and Simon, and the second had united the judges to award R.J. the win in the wild card show which now allowed him to perform in the top 10. What would this performance provide? He said a little prayer before venturing out of the Red Room. He was singing that great Holland Dozier Holland number, I Can't Help Myself. I knew it as Sugar Pie Honey Bunch. Recorded by the Four Tops in 1966, this truly was a real Motown classic. Sugar Pie Honey Bunch Randy liked the sound of RJ's voice. Paula was even more enthusiastic. Excellent. Thank you. Absolutely a billion percent. Simon, on the other hand, thought his performance was average. Our resident rock chick with the red and purple hair, Nikki McKibben, sang Michael Jackson's song about a rat. Ben. Ben, most people would turn you away. But I don't listen to a word they say It was surprisingly very staid, very grown up and a million miles away from the image that she'd portrayed in previous shows. Randy was shocked by this new style. Oh, you've been the wild child this whole thing and now it's kind of like tame, it's weird. Paula agreed with Randy and Simon put his own slant on it. You look like you've been through a daytime TV makeover. <laughs> I've got a lot of friends on daytime TV, so I quite like daytime TV makeovers. Uh, obviously, Simon didn't. Smokey Robinson was one of the original Motown artists with his group, The Miracles. He was not only a great singer, but also a great songwriter with songs like The Tears of a Clown, The Tracks of My Tears, Get Ready, Shop Around, Ooh, Baby, Baby are, are just a few of his amazing compositions. Six Flags performer E.J. Day was now about to cover his 1964 track, My Girl. I felt as though he tried to do a little too much with the song. We knew that he'd got an amazing voice, but for me, on tonight's performance, there was just too much vibrato and a few too many octave jumps. The judges totally disagreed with me. Randy thought it was the best he'd heard tonight. Paula said it was flawless. And Simon thought he'd got a great voice, but added a little something extra. I think you have a great voice. American Idol, no. EJ wasn't going to let Simon get away with that and reminded him, as if Simon didn't know, that that might be Simon's opinion but at the end of the day, it was up to the viewing public. That's your opinion, that's your opinion, but, you know, it's up to the viewing public. On returning from a commercial break, Ryan pointed out all the flags being waved in the audience were stars and stripes. And then Brian Dunkelman remarked, rather cheekily, that there was no Union Jacks to be seen, which got a rude retort from Simon. Shut up, you two. Paul's repost was the best I've ever heard, and I thought... Quite brilliant. He's angry, he's from England, he's got mad cow disease. Mad cow! <laughs> <laughs> mad cow disease. That is a classic line. I'd love to meet the person who wrote it for her. <laughs> Before it turned into a Simon Cowell roast, Ryan introduced to Myra Gray. One of Motown's biggest stars was Diana Ross, and she was Grammy nominated for the song to Myra was about to sing, Touch Me in the Morning. Let me Love can grow no 
After a wonderful performance, all three judges loved her and Paula went into her cheerleader dance. Simon remarked that Paula just couldn't get away from cheerleading. And Paula hit back with... You wish you could date one. <laughs> Paula had certainly got that right. Justin Guarini was next. He'd chosen to sing the 1968 Stevie Wonder hit for Once in My Life. As long as I know I have love I can make it for once in my life I've got someone who needs me. Paula couldn't speak and just put a finger to her lips and went... To which Simon jumped in with... That is the first intelligent thing you've ever said on this show. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Cruel, but close to the truth. Written by Lionel Richie, Jim Vararos was singing the 1977 Commodore's hit, Easy. That's why I'm easy. Oh, oh, oh. I'm easy like Sunday morning. No, no, no. Jim had been cut from the show and then reinstated in semi-final one. He'd been called a loser in semi-final three. And now he was singing anything but easy. He looked extremely uncomfortable up there and was struggling with the song. All three judges were not impressed with him. We were all worried about Kelly Clarkson. She'd had laryngitis the day before and had lost her voice. All their voices were getting tired in truth, but we had a wonderful specialist in Dr. Sean Nasseri. There is no doubt he was a miracle worker over the years we worked on American Idol. Kelly's song choice was a very fitting choice for her doctor, actually. You're all I need to get by. Originally sung by Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell in 1968, it was written by Ashford and Simpson, and she sang it brilliantly, which prompted Simon to completely come out of character and say... As they say in Texas, Yal did a great job. Ooh, that terrible accent went a long way to make up for Dick Van Dyke's attempt of a London Cockney accent in Mary Poppins, both of which were quite terrible. <laughs> the second of the singers Cowell had called a loser was A.J. Gill. He was performing yet another Stevie Wonder song, My Sherry Amore. My Sherry Amore, lovely as a summer day. My Sherry Amore, distant as a milky way. It was quite pleasant, and the beautiful melody actually suited A.J.'s sweet voice. Randy and Paula were just okay with a nice performance, but it was Simon who dealt the final cut. I think based on that performance, if you were to win the competition, it would be a disaster. Well, we certainly didn't want a disaster, and we weren't going to get one. Christina Christian wrapped up the evening with another Ashford and Simpson song, Ain't No Mountain High. Both Randy and Paula thought she'd done well, and Simon told her once again that he'd got a crush on her. For our first live show with an audience, everything had gone really well. The contestants would now go out together to a local restaurant and have supper and stay awake all night hoping their dreams wouldn't be crushed tomorrow. Unfortunately, during the press call after the show, RJ fell down a hole in the set and injured his lower spine. I ended up just losing my balance and falling backwards. He was rushed to see to Sinai Hospital, where he received an X-ray. Bottom two vertebrae were cracked. After each Tuesday night's performance show, Randy, Simon, Ryan, and myself would go to what became our Tuesday night restaurant for about six years, Argo on Melrose. It was a wonderful Italian restaurant. They really looked after us every week, and unfortunately, it's now closed down. I would get the results in the restaurant of the vote that night at about 10.30. And on this particular week, we had just over 8 million votes for our very first live performance. I would then work out 
how we would eliminate the unfortunate competitor or competitors, and Charles Boyd, our program consultant, would write out the information we needed to give to our hosts. It was always a late night. To accommodate the East Coast, we would shoot the results show at 5 p.m. Pacific time. On this particular week, we had to release two singers from the competition. Simon was not available to be on the first results show as he had to fly back to the UK on business. We didn't want to lose his ominous presence on the show, so we sat a cardboard cutout next to Paula, and the jokes came thick and fast. Simon, you look a little stiff tonight, buddy. You've been doing too much Botox, huh? What a moron. Ooh, the cardboard cutout of Simon had a movable mouth, so Paula worked it like a ventriloquist's dummy. The pseudo-homo banter usually enjoyed between Ryan and Simon now continued with a cardboard cutout voiced by Paula. I much prefer your weekend attire, your beach moo, your fishnet stockings, your high heels. <laughs> and by the way, Ryan, once again, you left your panties at my house last night. It was important that we actually got on with the business. And the first person with the least amount of votes was E.J. Day. He was called in at the last moment, and he would be the first person leaving the top ten. The next two to be called down with the lowest votes were Jim Vararos and Nicky McKibben. One would be staying, and one would be leaving the competition. Of course, in order to heighten the tension, we wouldn't tell them who it was going to be until after the break. A device that so many other shows copied over the years. Coming back from the break, it was revealed that Jim would be going home. During his time on Idol, he'd been cut, he'd been reinstated, he'd been called a loser, and now he was leaving the show. And Cowell wasn't there to say goodbye. But I know he would have been satisfied with America's vote. Jim took the result graciously and left us with a little message. To all my fans, you guys, I love each and every single one of you. You've made my dream come true. And that's what American Idol was all about making dreams come true. The following week, the top eight were asked to choose songs from the 60s. Ten years of music that covered pop, R&B, protest, funk, and soul music. Among the groups, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, and the whole British invasion, Motown was just starting up, Elvis was still big, The Doors, The Beach Boys, The Everly Brothers, Tom Jones, Dionne Warwick, Aretha Franklin, Janis Joplin, Dusty Springfield, Simon and Garfunkel, and great songwriters like Bacharach and David, Jimmy Webb, Carol King, Neil Sedaka, Otis Redding, and Bob Dylan. So many different styles to choose from. And the top eight only needed to pick one song each that they felt they could sing well from the entire decade. However, the difficulty always came when we asked them to put their own interpretation on the song and not just do a copycat karaoke version. Well, R.J. Helton started the evening with Under the Boardwalk, a big hit for the Drifters in 1964 and was covered by the Rolling Stones in the same year. Randy and Paula both loved the sound of RJ's voice, as did Simon. But Simon didn't believe RJ gave a winning performance. Tamira Gray was next. She'd chosen Tina Turner's first professional release from 1960, written by her husband Ike. And considering the volatile relationship between Ike and Tina, the song was aptly titled A Fool in Love. Kurt Loder, a music journalist who later became the editor of Rolling Stone, called it the blackest record to creep into the white pop charts since Ray Charles' What I Say. Tamira gave it an incredibly confident performance. Listen, he's got me smiling when I should be ashamed. Got me laughing when my heart is in pain. But I know that I must be a fool. Randy was thrilled. You are exactly singing, performing, looking, dressing, acting, everything what I think the American Idol competition should be. Paula said Tamira had 
je ne sais quoi. It describes such an appealing quality that cannot be adequately expressed in English. So therefore we use a bunch of French words that we don't really understand what they mean, but we believe it's good. Simon said simply, You are a star. We all understood that and agreed with him. Nikki McKibben was the next to go. She had a lot to prove after her timid performance of Ben the week before, which put her in the bottom three. Plus, she was following a star into Myra. She had at least chosen a great song for her rock voice, the 1969 hit by Janis Joplin, Peace of My Heart. Randy and Paula loved her singing that song, as did Simon. You completely screwed up last week, but I think it was so much better than what you did before. She certainly left the stage, hoping that she wouldn't be in the bottom two this week. How Sweet It Is was A.J. Gill's choice of song. The Holland Dozier Holland pen song was originally recorded by Marvin Gaye in 1964 and re-recorded by James Taylor in the 70s. It received a lukewarm reception from all three judges. Kelly Clarkson looking extremely stylish and metrosexual in trousers, a fedora hat and a shirt and tie had chosen the Carol King, Jerry Goffin song you Make Me Feel Like a Natural Born Woman, which had been recorded by Aretha Franklin back in 1968. And Kelly made full use of her incredible voice by hitting what's known as a whistle note at the end of the bridge. was one of those Mariah Carey mini Ripperton notes that soar into the stratosphere, bringing the entire audience to its feet. Okay, I thought, we now have a real challenger to what appeared to be our front runners into Myra and Justin. The judges were full of praise. Randy couldn't talk over the tumultuous applause from this standing ovation for a full 30 seconds. When he could, he said... What a great song for such a great singer. You surprise me every week, man. I didn't know you had all of that. Yeah, I was trying to show my range this time. I mean, so. You sound amazing. Paula had similar thoughts. You really, really outdid yourself. Simon made his point by referring back to A.J. Gill's performance. It's fantastic that you followed the previous performance because you, you just outlined my point so well. America is not known for nice singers, it is known for great singers, and you are one of them. The young lady that Simon had a crush on was next, Christina Christian. She'd chosen a 1966 recording by Percy Sledge, which had made a number one on both the R&B charts as well as the Hot 100, When a Man Loves a Woman. It was also recorded much later by Bette Midler, proving that a woman could also sing the song. Christina was getting thinner and thinner. With all of the pressure being put on these kids, I was hoping that she was eating well. Anyway, neither Randy nor Paula thought it was her best performance, but Simon thought all of the girls had performed better than the guys this week. Justin Guarini was hoping to change that opinion as he stepped on the stage to sing Sonny, a soul jazz song written and performed by Bobby Hebb in 1966. He'd written it the day after John F. Kennedy had been assassinated and his brother Harold had been stabbed to death. He had written it to express a preference for a sunny disposition over a lousy one. Unfortunately, Justin 
would leave the stage with a lousy one. One that would continue to haunt him for a couple of weeks. Randy had heard him sing better than this. Paula reiterated that he had star quality, while Simon told him that three girls had outperformed him tonight. That's when Justin countered with this. I really respect your opinion, but what did you guys think? <laughs> Ooh, that put down that slightly rude snub, showing Simon where the power now lay in the hands of the public, which I have to say was totally out of character for Justin, got him a lot of bad press, with many people saying that his new celebrity status had gone to his head. Simon looked bemused and let it go with just a wry smile and a gentle shake of the head. He knew the public would not like any appearance of arrogance in these young performers. How that would show itself would only be a matter of time, and it may show itself by a very low vote. Ryan Starr was going to close the evening with a kink song from the British Invasion, You Really Got Me. In truth, there's not much of a song there. It had a great feel for the 60s, but it was certainly style over substance. Great for a live band, but difficult for a solo girl singer. Having shouted, you really got me about 12 times in case anyone had missed what the song was called, it finally came to an end, thank goodness. Randy said he didn't love it. Paula said she'd lost her way. And Simon, as expected, hit hard. Oh, God, I thought that was absolutely dreadful. At this stage of the game, I don't think dreadful's a part of the vocabulary. Wanna bet? It all got a little bit heavy. And after all of the commotion, Ryan asked Simon how he rated this week's competition. Some were fantastic, some were okay, and one or two were just dreadful, sorry. The message boards had lit up discussing Justin's comment to Simon. So it was natural that the first question on the following evening's results show was from Brian to Justin. Last night, after Simon criticized you, you kind of called upon the audience to uh, defend you a little bit. Do you regret doing that in any way? Uh, no, because I meant it in only the best of ways. I really did. And, uh, you know, but I do want to make it clear that I meant no disrespect to you, Simon. I really do respect your opinion. Unfortunately, that slight moment of madness from Justin wouldn't disappear. It turns out that the bottom three were Christina, AJ Gill, and Ryan Starr. When Simon was asked what he thought about the bottom three, this is what he said. I thought Christina wasn't at her best. I thought uh, Ryan- You said she was fantastic. I, yeah, but I thought Ryan was appalling. And AJ, you know, I've always been straight up with him. I don't think deserves to be in this competition. Christina was released to go back and sit down. And the singer with the lowest amount of votes would be either AJ Gill or Ryan Starr. And I'll tell you who it is on next week's podcast. <laughs> only kidding. <laughs> only kidding. We, of course, waited until the commercial break to tell AJ Gill that he would be leaving the show. That was the second of Simon Cowell's losers to be let go in consecutive weeks. That would have made him very happy that the American voters were in line with his thoughts. Randy gave AJ advice. Just keep growing, man. Keep working. Don't give it up. Paula gave a great soundbite. This guy will never know the highs that you've experienced performing in front of all these people. And you know what? The only high he'll ever experience is if he smokes his own T-shirt. <laughs> Simon rolled his eyes and said, Paula, you're a choreographer. Devote some time to him. Yeah. Ryan, if you care, put him on your radio show. Words are cheap. To which Paula came out with a classic it's in fact as good as a mad cowl disease. This is what happens when you're breastfed by your father. <laughs> it was becoming obvious to all of us that Paula had employed a writer. Simon also knew it and actually referred to it in an interview. She hired him to kind of put me down, you know, saying things that some guy was writing answer backs and none of them made any sense. The fact is, we needed a writer. Ryan and Brian were not fitting together. It was obvious that Ryan was far more comfortable in the studio. He would be down in the audience instigating fans to come up on stage for hugs and kisses with their idols, 
enjoying extra banter with Simon while Brian was being relegated to just throwing to breaks and welcoming us back. Ken and I decided to call our friend and programme consultant uh, in the UK version of Pop Idol, Charles Boyd. He would hopefully help us to bring our American presenters together as he'd done in London. The following week, our top seven chose their songs from the 70s. This decade was obviously all about disco music. However, other subgenres of rock appeared like glam rock, hard rock, and even heavy metal, with punk rock as well just beginning. Nikki stayed true to her rock chick image and chose Pat Benatar's 1979 hit, Heartbreaker. Simon wasn't enthralled. That was a copycat performance, not good enough, and you will not win the show. Well, that certainly wasn't going to help Nikki's confidence, was it? Ryan Starr went to the top of the disco classics, choosing a number by the queen of disco, Donna Summer. Last Dance, written by the multi-talented Paul Jabara for the movie Thank God It's Friday, went on to win the Academy Award in 1979. Ryan was hoping she'd give a winning performance tonight, and in my eyes, she did. I need you by me, beside me, to guide me, to hold me, to scold me, cause when I'm bad, I'm so bad. The song fitted her voice perfectly, her performance was outstanding and the best I'd seen her do. Randy thought the performance was good. Paula made a good point. Last week, you closed the door on a performance that was not your best. Yeah. You came back and everyone enjoyed it. Simon also couldn't forget Ryan's poor performance of You Really Got Me from the previous week. Last week's performance was the equivalent of a musical train wreck. I think if you survive this week, and I think you probably will, you've got to make up your mind what you want to be. Christina Christian was next. She looked really sultry and beautiful, apart from the fact that she looked like she was still losing weight. My dad used to use a term that always made me smile whenever he saw a really skinny person. Look at her, son. There's more meat on a butcher's pencil. Now, I'm sure he wouldn't be allowed to say that nowadays. But we don't have butchers anymore, do we? Christina had chosen the Bill Withers hit, Ain't No Sunshine. He wrote it and recorded it in 1971. I think he must have forgotten to write a third verse because the song repeats, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, 26 times. And I know that that was one of Christina's best performances. Randy said... You know, you get my award tonight for the most improved since last week. Paula also thought there was a vast improvement. I think if this were the Olympics, this is your golden moment from... Top to bottom, the way you look, you are a star. And with Simon having a crush on Christina, we knew he wasn't going to be too mean. The way you looked, the way you sounded, it was, it was good, really good. Justin Guarini had some ground to make up after his mistake last week. He'd chosen a Donny Hathaway song that had never really been a hit called Someday We'll All Be Free. Many perceived the song to be about black rights, which the writer Edward Howard, although happy that it had been significant to the movement, actually wrote it for Donny Hathaway. Donny had been diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. It was written in the hope that Donny would be released from the pain he was suffering. Right Justin sang his heart out. However, the song seemed out of context and out of place for this particular show. Randy thought that too. This song does nothing for you. It's the wrong kind of song for you. You know that you're mad talented, just still don't think you found it. Okay. It was okay for me. Last week's comeback at Simon was obviously still playing on Justin's mind. Thank you so much, but I do have something I really want to say. 
about last week. Um, I think I really got caught up in the excitement of the moment, and you know, it, it went to my head for a minute, and I just really, that's not me, that's not who I am, and I want to apologize to everyone you for that. Of course, Simon also had something to say. Justin, you've proved yourself to be a man because you can admit you've made mistakes. Even I made a mistake, I think, once in my life. Oh. Yeah, once. yeah, 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 yeah. Sitting with these two. In hindsight, sitting with those two made him a star and a fortune, so I'm sure he was very happy later on. After her incredible performance the week before, we were all waiting in anticipation for what Kelly Clarkson would do this week. We were not disappointed. Originally recorded by Benny King in 1961, Kelly had based her performance on the Aretha Franklin 1970s version of Don't Play That Song, but still managed to give it her own personal vocal treatment. This was the second Aretha Franklin track for Kelly after last week's Natural Woman. Randy said he loved her voice and she gave him chills. Paula thought she was the real deal. And Simon also felt that she had an amazing voice with a lot of charm. Ryan couldn't resist running down into the audience to accost Simon, who he'd spotted dancing-ish during Kelly's number. Get a shot of Simon there. I just want you to see all of America. I don't know if we saw it on television, but I believe I saw you, pretty boy, snapping and moving and dancing on national television for the first time ever. Maybe I should invite Simon onto my other show, So You Think You Can Dance. Who knows what he'd be like on that. Next up was RJ Helton, who couldn't resist doing another Motown number, Stevie Wonder's Superstition. Very superstitious. gave a very mellow performance of it, and Simon summed up his feelings towards RJ very simply. Boy band, yes. American Idol, no. It's funny, but I could actually see RJ in a boy band. I think he'd have been very successful. It was Tamira Gray's birthday, and we'd surprised her earlier that day with a cake during rehearsals. She'd blown out the candles, and I'll bet she wished for great remarks from the judges after she'd sung the Gladys Knight song, If I Were Your Woman, later to be sung as If I Was Your Woman by Alicia Keys. Life is so crazy and love is unkind Because she came first, darling Will she hang on your mind? If that had been Tamira's wish, it certainly came true. And then some. I think that you're probably the most consistent of all the contestants I've seen. You're great. You keep raising the bar. What are you, a pole vaulter? You're just like, you're pole vaulting higher and higher and higher. And every time I think you can't do it, you keep doing it. Good for you. I think America has got this right incredibly well, the voting public. If they don't vote you through as the winner of this competition, I think it would be total madness based on that performance. That was the first time that Simon had mentioned which contestant should win the competition in his opinion. I was in total agreement. Kelly Clarkson had now moved into my number two spot with Tamira, and after tonight's performance by Justin, I had totally removed him from my thoughts, unless a bunch of young girls could steer the vote in his favor. The following night was very interesting with over 9 million votes cast. That's a million more than the previous week. Justin found himself in the bottom three, along with Ryan and, of course, Nikki, who was now referring to the bottom three as the McKibben zone. The first to be released back to her seat was Nikki, leaving Justin and Ryan to find out which of them was going home after the break. Justin was, of course, relieved to find out he was staying and Ryan would be leaving us after what I thought was her best performance. You could never tell who America would vote for in this first season. Simon told Ryan to call him at any time if she needed any advice or help. I don't know if that ever happened. 
I must ask Simon next time I see him. But I think he gave her his number. The opening of the big band show with the top six had Ryan and Brian introduce the judges. First of all, we have a lovely big bear of a man. Yes! Randy Jackson. Yes! And next to Randy, our only judge who looks good in high heels and a teddy. You sure? Trust me, it's Paula Abdul. And of course, finally, Hannibal Lecter without the charm, it's Simon Cowell. And then it was up to Brian to introduce our first performer of the evening. Singing Minnie the Moocher, it's Tamira Gray. Minnie the Moocher, recorded by Cab Calloway back in 1931, was also known as the Heidi 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 Ho song. It has been preserved in the Library of Congress and is thought to have been the first jazz record to have sold a million copies. Tamira sang it with great confidence. Randy thought Tamira could sing the phone book and it would still sound great. Paula thought she gave an amazing performance and Simon took an overall look at all her past performances. Everything we've, we've thrown at you so far and we're so cruel, I've been making you go from 70s to 80s to big band, you are totally 100% authentic. You know what I find amazing? How did you remain undiscovered for so long? I believe Nat King Cole was the first one to record Justin Guarini's song choice, Route 66. After that, everyone from Bing Crosby to Chuck Berry, John Mayer and the Rolling Stones covered it. Justin needed a good performance. He'd been in the bottom three last week, embarrassed himself with Simon the week before, but Simon had stuck up for him last night. So this was an important week if he was going to attract a vote. He looked really cool in a dinner suit with open bow tie looking like one of Sinatra's Rat Pack and he gave a great performance. Randy was delighted. America, Justin is back. That was fabulous. Paula thought he'd taken a cool song and that he was cool and commanded the audience. Before Simon gave his critique, he wanted to say something regarding the past two weeks. Most celebrities' behavior in real life is appalling. Okay. All the contestants who we found so far are actually genuinely nice people. You, you were very sorry afterwards, and I'm sticking up for you because I think you've been untreated fairly. And the reason I want to make this point is because I do genuinely believe you're a nice person, Thank and more you. importantly than that, a great performer. That was a very classy moment from Simon to make that statement. And it wasn't to make him look good. He genuinely believed Justin had been treated badly by the press and the fans. Hopefully, that would put him back on a level playing field. Nicky McKibben chose a very strange song for my liking, Hard-Hearted Hannah. It was first recorded in 1924 by a lady named Margaret Young. It had been covered years later by Peggy Lee and Ray Charles, but all the same... I felt it wasn't the best choice to keep Nikki out of what was now being called by everybody the McKibben Zone. Well, I saw her at the seashore with a great big pan. There was Hannah pouring water on the drowning man. That's hard-hearted Hannah, the vampire Savannah. It was just okay for Randy. Paula was not crazy about the song and Simon went straight for the jugular. You had to pull out the performance of a lifetime to last another week. You didn't. Christina Christian had chosen a 1936 song taken to the number one spot by Benny Goodman. Bette Midler had performed it in the movie Beaches, and it had also been covered by Dean Martin and Paul McCartney, among many others. The name of the song, The Glory of Love. Christina looked amazing in a full-length white dress with fringing. 
Randy thought the song was a good choice. It was one of Paula's favorite songs, and with Simon constantly telling Christina he had a crush on her, we were all expecting a great crit. No one was expecting what we got. There's something I'm very unhappy about. You have a fiancé? With Christina's fiancé in the audience, she didn't know what to say. And when Ryan asked her this... If you didn't have a fiancé, would Simon have a shot? <laughs> Please say no. Not a chance. I'm going to keep quiet there. Okay. It was the first time her fiancé had turned up to watch the show. He may have felt a little jealous with the amount of attention she was getting from Simon. And you didn't tell me? Keeping everything white... R.J. Helton looked splendid in a beautifully cut white suit, white shirt, tie, and vest. His choice of song was fun, and he sang it with a really good feel. That is, until he forgot his lyrics. I Won't Dance, originally sung by Fred Astaire in the film Roberta, later by Frank Sinatra and Lady Gaga, was written by Jerome Kern and Oscar Hammerstein II in 1934. Unfortunately, this competition requires a few vocal fireworks to impress the voters. Although the song is a real standard, it doesn't really go anywhere. Randy felt the song didn't do RJ any justice. Paula thought RJ didn't go for it tonight, but she felt he was capable of it, while Simon felt there were just better singers in the competition, although he complimented RJ on the fact that he picked the song back up after he'd forgotten some of the lyrics. One of the best performances of the night was coming from Kelly Clarkson. Her Stuff Like That There, originally sung by Betty Hutton and recreated for the movie For the Boys by Bette Midler, was amazing. With the exception of Tamira and possibly Justin, nobody else looked as comfortable in front of that big band than Kelly. In a polka dot dress, a string of pearls and her hair in a 40s style, she didn't just sound like a big band singer, she looked the part too. Randy had to wait the obligatory 30 seconds for the crowd to stop cheering for one of the best Kelly Clarkson performances ever. Randy paid her a wonderful compliment. You're probably one of the most natural, great singers I've heard in a long time. Paula followed up with another great compliment. You are a triple threat. I could see you on film, I could see you on television, on stage. You have it all, Kelly. And Simon added... Thank God we've ended with you, because this show is all about finding a star, not feeling sorry for people who aren't very good. Absolutely brilliant. The following night, over 10 million votes had come in, but everyone was waiting to see who would be voted out. Unfortunately, Christina Christian had been rushed to hospital a couple of hours before the show. She had passed out from stress, exhaustion, and dehydration, plus the fact I didn't think she'd been eating well. Simon and I naturally blamed her fiancé. Anyway, sadly, Christina would be watching the show from her bedside in Cedars-Sinai Hospital. The show began with the top six minus Christina, singing a very corny version of American Bandstand. I'd like to bet Christina was happy to be in the hospital at this point. After the little Ford-sponsored commercial with the Idols, it was time to reveal the bottom three. Who would be standing in the McKibben zone this week? Nikki, of course, was the first to be called down, followed by RJ. Kelly and Tamira were told they were safe, but Justin and Christina were told one of them would be in the bottom three this week. And they would be told who it would be, and you know it, after the break. Who plays these mean games on these poor contestants? Oh yes, that would be me. Anyway, what must have felt like a lifetime to both of them, Christina was told she was in the bottom three. Justin was told he was safe. Consequently, Christina, Nikki, and RJ were the bottom three. Ryan asked the judges their thoughts, 
Randy pointed out that whoever gets to stay needs to be at their best next week. Paula was positive about them all. It's about levels of greatness. You know, you're judged on your level of greatness each moment that you are up on that stage and you're judged by that performance. You gotta go for it, but you've already proven that you're all American Idols. Where Paula was positive, Simon was not. Based on the on, on your performances last night, you deserve to be up there. Ryan turned to Nikki. Nikki, I understand that you packed your bags at the house <laughs> last night. I did. How do you feel about unpacking your stuff? So, either Christina or RJ would be going home, but they wouldn't find out until, yes, again, after the break. With Christina in hospital, RJ was standing on the stage alone between Ryan and Brian. After a nationwide vote, and by the way, you said you're sure it's you, didn't you? Why'd you say that? Because Christina did amazing last night, and, and I, I struggled a lot, so Christina did amazing. Did amazing. America voted and decided that RJ, you're safe. So it turned out to be a bad day for Christina. She found herself in the hospital, and now she found herself with America's lowest vote and she would be leaving the show. The judges were asked for their thoughts. Christina, just keep running, keep doing your thing. You can call me anytime. I completely disagree with America for once. I thought you were really good last night. You are a lady. You've handled yourself with dignity and grace. You've risen from adversity, which is extremely hard to do. And when the dust settles, you will see clearly all the offers are going to be pouring in. I think America got it wrong. I think, RJ, you are incredibly lucky. The top five would all be going to see Christina at the hospital after the show. And through tears, RJ had a message for her. Christina, how quickly you have become one of my closest and dearest friends. And um, I love you, and I know you're going to go so far, and I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you, and we'll be there soon. So it had truly been a very emotional show. I'm sure the top five were torn between losing a dear friend and getting a little closer to becoming the American Idol. Although none of them would admit it. But that's another story. Thank you for listening and don't forget to subscribe to My Idol Memories on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please, don't forget to rate us. Stay safe. Cue music. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.